This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. All right, great. Well, it's good to see everybody. Uh, welcome back. And for a whole bunch of new people, welcome again as well. Uh, who was not here last week? Okay. Well, we have a small tradition of um, just going over the, the, the notes from last week. I hope this is an accurate description of the things we talked about. We are studying the um, Acts of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts. We managed to do three verses last week, so we're going to try and get a few more uh, this time. Although you have to admit, they were pretty packed with information, yes? Yes, okay, so that's great. But before we, we go over last week's um, thing, uh, there is another... See if everybody can see or share uh, the notes from last week. Before we begin, it's uh, it's a tradition that we pray. It's a good tradition. It gets our spirits uh, together, hopefully with the Holy Spirit um, wrapped around His Word, which is most precious. Can I have a volunteer uh, to lead us in prayer? Yes, Lord, how much you love me. You are such a living person day-to-day, moment-to-moment, abide in us, guide us, lead us. Tonight we gather your name to blend and to be together to study your word, which you told us is your life and your spirit. Inspire all of us, Lord. Anoint the speaker. Anoint Brother Aaron for him to express so much according to the speaking of the spirit so that we all can be edified. Lord, we love you, and we want to be like you. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Amen. Thanks, Ling Ling. Okay. So, going over what we discussed last week, we are doing the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Why Acts of the Holy Spirit? Book of Acts mentions the Holy Spirit more times than any other book, combined with Luke. Basically, everything else in the entire Bible does not match the number of times Luke talks about the Holy Spirit. So um, we decided that what we would do is we would ask the question, what do we think the Holy Spirit does? We wrote it up on the board, a little list here. And then as we go through the book of Acts, whenever we come to the term Holy Spirit, we will stop, look at it in context, find out what he does, write that down. And at the end of the book of Acts, have a look at what we think and what the text says, and then see where we blend and where what we learn along the way, okay? All right. So what do we think the Holy Spirit does? Well, we had a nice conversation. He motivates and inspires zeal in the believer. He reveals the Messiah. He is a witness of God and His kingdom and His works. He reminds us of the truth. He reminds us of our sins. He reminds us of what God has done. He is a guide. He guides us into all truth. He guides us into discernment. Was one of uh, the things. He conforms us into the image of his son, convicts us of sin. He is a counselor, brings wisdom, brings words of knowledge, he speaks. He is the comforter, particularly to the lonely and the suffering. And he revives, particularly those who are weighed down, bowed down, and, 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 and lagging. He empowers us for ministry. He pushes us to go out beyond ourselves and to serve the lost and to serve the church the wider body of the Messiah. 
He encourages us to persevere when perhaps we would like to give up, to try, to forge ahead. He provides signs and wonders and does miracles. We noted that there are the fruits of the Spirit, things that are actually seen in the believer. He helps us to pray, and he intercedes for us when we pray amiss. He indwells, so we discussed that the bodies become temples of the Holy Spirit, and baptized in the Spirit, whatever that means. So we began or, and reminded ourselves that the Holy Spirit is only mentioned three times in the Hebrew Bible, and in, in each time it's only mentioned with possessives, that is, your Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit. It's during the Second Temple period that the concept of the Holy Spirit actually becomes developed and begins to appear in literature. In the Hebrew Bible, that is the, what we call the Old Testament, but Hebrew Bible, God's presence was described as dwelling within a cloud or within glory. Whenever you talked about God, whenever he moved, whenever he spoke, he spoke from a cloud or, or from glory, especially when he was connected to the temple or the tabernacle, hereby known as the sanctuary. Once we were talking about God's uh, voice or his work outside the sanctuary, then his presence was often defined as the spirit, a ruach, breath or wind. And in various different ways, Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Prophets, the Spirit of Wisdom, all these different spirits. Uh, the destruction of the temple shakes that theology. Yes, if you've got a theology in the first temple period based around the fact that your God lives inside the, the temple, that's where he keeps his name, and then suddenly some guy comes on and knocks it down, <laughs> this is a deep theological problem. <laughs> And so it's a big shock. And so we're having to rethink, like, oh my gosh, what have we done wrong? Where is actually God? Obviously, he's not in the temple because when the building fell down, he didn't die. Uh, you know, these kinds of things. Like, what does it actually mean now? So they become to reimagine, or not reimagine, but relook at the text that they've got and begin to start seeing that perhaps this thing called the Spirit is a little more than we thought. Okay? Perhaps God cannot just talk from a cloud, he can talk from somewhere else. And you see in the texts, we, we will discuss uh, that you know, God in Exodus, it says he speaks from the mountain, not from a cloud. He speaks from smoke, speaks from a burning bush. And yet, uh, examples of cloud presence in the sanctuary, Exodus 19, speaks from a mountain, smoke. However, Jubilees, which is uh, a rewritten Exodus and uh, Genesis and Exodus, rewrites that entire episode and, and resubstitutes the word cloud. So they were thinking, no, God spoke from inside a cloud. Second Maccabees noted that Jeremiah hid the ark in Edom. That was always a fun part, so now Indiana Jones got that completely wrong. Okay. Maccabees says that <coughs> Jeremiah hides it in Edom, in the same place where Moses is buried, and makes the point of the cloud presence in the temple. Note that there is no explicit Bible passage in the Hebrew Bible that says the spirit was in the temple. Okay. It's always the honor of the Lord, the kavod Adonai, or the cloud, okay, the Anam. However, Psalm 139 notes that his presence is being everywhere. From one end of heaven, you go to heaven, he is there, go down to the depths of the earth, he is there, go as far as the east, he is there, but never mentions it in the terms of a spirit. So you have these uh, interesting little verses pop up in the Hebrew Bible for people to discuss and think about, particularly when you're in diaspora and having to wrestle with the fact that your temple's down destroyed. So they look at the text and they discover that the Spirit of God ponders at creation. 
Spirit of God empowers prophets and is going to be poured out into all flesh. Yes, from the prophet Joel in the messianic future age. Right? Not a cloud, but the Spirit. So the wisdom of Solomon, which is in the Septuagint, which is Greek Bible, which is the Bible that the New Testament quotes, just so everybody knows. Right? The New Testament does not quote Hebrew texts. It quotes Greek, Greek texts. And it introduces the concept of, in Greek, the hypostasis. Everybody knows what a hypostasis is? Of course. Yes, of course you do. That's right. So throughout the work known as the Wisdom of Solomon, okay, the, the author melds the Holy Spirit wisdom, which is picked up in, from Proverbs 8. Right? Wisdom is a voice. She's a lady. She calls, and uh, she's compared with another funny spirit called folly. Uh, so, so the writer of the Wisdom of Solomon uses, as he's weaving his uh, wisdom literature, sometimes mentions the word Holy Spirit, sometimes calls the, the character wisdom, sometimes calls the character the Ruach Adonai, the Spirit of the Lord, or the breath of God, and the glory of God, and he puts them all into the same, same, same passages. And we read a few of them. Talking and describing them as one thing. That is, they become a product of God. They become a manifestation of God. They become the representation of God. And the Spirit is God. Okay, so that theology begins to pick up in the Second Temple period. In the Qumran community, which are known as the Dead Sea sect, sometimes they are called Essenes. Uh, they are the guys that uh, flee the Temple when, when the Hasmoneans, the Maccabees, uh, begin to assert their dominion and uh, change the... The, the, the priests, they begin to, uh, the priests spread. Some go to Egypt and build another temple down there. Some go to the desert. Some go to the north and do all kinds of things. They also begin to rethink theology because they have no access to the temple, which means what can they not do? Sacrifice. Correct. You cannot make a sacrifice for sin. And if you cannot make a sacrifice for sin, you have a problem. What is it? You're going to hell, buddy. <laughs> okay. um, except that they've already had examples where the temple was destroyed. Daniel, as a young man, is taken into captivity. He is eunuched and he serves uh, pagan kings very faithfully, never once rebels. He has dreams and visions and angelic uh, visitors. And never once does an angel say, we're coming to give you a prophecy of the future, but it doesn't matter about you because you're going to hell because you can't sacrifice for your sin. You see a problem? And so Jewish people begin to think, well, if we don't have a temple, what can we do? How can we possibly repent? And so they begin to develop prayers and, and look through the text to look for areas in the Bible where God says, the blood of goats and bulls I didn't actually want. What do I really want? Right? And so in hymn number eight, which we read uh, last week, it notes in the hymn, which is a prayer, okay, a song, this community says that they are purified by the Holy Spirit. Which is interesting. It doesn't say they're purified by uh, an animal. This is a hundred years prior to Jesus. They are drawn to God's face and his presence by the Spirit, not by a sacrifice. God had fled the corrupted temple and was now abiding within the temple of man. Yay. And sin was atoned for by repentance and God himself. And then, of course, rabbinic literature. Rabbinic literature introduces the concept of the Shekinah. Right? We can actually find the, the word Shekinah in Hebrew uh, in Hebrew Bible. Okay? That comes from the rabbis. It comes from the verb Leshachen, to dwell. 
The Shekinah becomes interchangeable with the Holy Spirit in various Midrashim. Uh, in the Midrash, the Song of Songs, they ask the question, when did the Shekinah come to dwell on earth? On the day the tabernacle was set up in the desert. So the cloud, presence of the Lord, is the Shekinah. Okay. Uh, note that the tabernacle was in the midst of the people. Where does God want to dwell? In the midst of his people. It was made of skin and took nine months to be constructed. Thus, the theology that God always wants to do with the people is in the midst of the community. Hint, where two or three are gathered, there I am with you. Okay? And in fact, they have a Midrashic saying on exactly the same thing. Wherever two or three are gathered, the Shekinah is present. Right? So then, finally, after all this background, as we begin to show that there is a movement uh, of trying to describe what the Holy Spirit is and his character and his actions, we get into the book that talks about him the most, which was the book of Acts. And we started, and we were introduced to the character that Acts is writing to, a guy called Theophilus, and uh, which he is called the most excellent in Luke, but not in Acts. In Acts, he doesn't get that, uh, that thing. The term most excellent is an honorific that is reserved for people of a high standing. Examples of Felix and Festus in the book of Acts. These are Roman governors, is that right? Yeah, 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 governors of Judea. Ge governors of Judea, okay, and they're given this title. But why not here for Theophilus in Acts if Luke has already called him that in Luke? Uh, perhaps there had been a change of status. We have no way of knowing this, okay, but we can just make conjecture and talk. Uh, I then noted that in the Westminster system, bishops and dukes are of the same rank. Anyone here who actually comes from the uh, English system? All right. And they are members of the House of Lords. Bishops are members of the House of Lords. And they are both given the title Your Grace. Right? So they end up uh, having the same rank. There is a character in, the, in, in history called Theophilus. His name is Theophilus ben Ananus, who was the high priest in the temple between the years 37 and 41. His brother, he was brother-in-law to Caiaphas. Yes, that's the Caiaphas that we find in our Bible. And he had a granddaughter called Joanna. And how do we know all this? Because we actually have her tomb. Okay, we have Joanna's tomb, which has a really lovely script, which tells her that she is the, the Joanna, the granddaughter of Theophilus, who was the high priest, and blah, blah, blah. Okay? And uh, which is very interesting. You do not find a lot of that stuff, but it's really cool what you do. And who is she? In Luke, she is uh, mentioned as being healed by Jesus. She is one of the rich women who pay for the ministry. Wow. And which is great. I think that's the best way that all missionaries should find some rich women. Is that anybody here? <laughs> Just letting you know. Okay. All right. And, uh, and, uh, and, and so these women support, support Jesus okay, and the disciples. And, uh, and she's actually one of the women that visits the tomb. Okay, with Mary and the other women. So if this indeed, Joanna, is actually related to Theophilus, and if Theophilus really is actually the high priest, you can actually kind of figure out why Luke mentions her a lot okay, in his gospel. You know, I'd like to tell you the story about Jesus. Oh, by the way, your granddaughter is one of his followers. Oh, by the way, you know, she actually visited the tomb and discovered it was empty. Oh, by the way, uh, and that's, that's quite clever of him. But that also just might not be true. We have really no idea who Theophilus is. Okay. But I, I, I strongly more lean to the idea he was actually uh, a member of the, he was the high priest, hence his honorific, 
and that Acts being written later, he no longer has that title, and Luke being uh, a good Hellenized Jew, writes correctly. Okay. Acts 2, uh, 1 verse 2, fire brings in our first mention of the word the Holy Spirit in connection that commandments are given through the Holy Spirit. Receiving of instruction and commandments from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Note the transmission is from Jesus to disciples through the Spirit. Okay? That's what we pick up from our first mention of the word the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? It helps Jesus teach. Okay. Kingdom of heaven, uh, Acts 1 verse 3. Kingdom of heaven was something so important to Jesus that he remains on the planet for 40 days after his resurrection, teaching about the kingdom of heaven. Right? When does the kingdom of heaven start? According to the tradition, it begins at Mount Sinai with the giving of the instructions of the Torah through the fire and the word to all nations of the world. Later tradition says that the Torah was mediated through angels. Okay? That is a, uh, a rabbinic interpretation, but it's also in the New Testament. Though in Hebrew Bible, it says God spoke to Moses, but in the New Testament, in Acts 7, Galatians 3, and Hebrews 2, it says it was actually mediated by angels. Okay? So as you get into the Second Temple period, you begin to explore and explain concepts that you might have been asking uh, for a thousand years. Right? Uh, another classic example that I mentioned uh, to some people today is um, who buries Moses? So we actually looked at uh, Deuteronomy 34 and I had Yair who was a, a famous uh, Israeli dancer um, before he became a believer and got kicked out. But uh, he's got a very interesting story. You should all talk to him. Uh, mentioned that uh, in the, he actually read the Hebrew for me. Uh, it actually says that Moses died and he was buried. And the only subject in that sentence is God. So who's burying Moses? God. Got a problem now after sitting around thinking about it for a thousand years. God doesn't like death. And if you touch death or touch dead bodies, then you become tainted. And God says, death never enters my presence. So if you bury dad, that's a good thing to do. But you make sure you go have a, a baptism uh, before coming into, into my presence. Because I'm life, I'm light, and I can't have any death anywhere near me. So how can God touch a dead body? What's the solution? You barely hear my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's okay, Moses, it'll be over soon. <laughs> You're old anyway. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that, you, gotta, you have to admit, that whole death scene of Moses is kind of cool. It says, on the day Moses died, he starts to sing. Okay? So on the last day of Moses' life, what's he do? It's Cecil B. DeMille, you know? Um, song, the song of Moses. And you go, wow, not a lot of people actually do that when they're dying. Just so we know. But um, the, one of the, 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 the discussions is that perhaps God actually didn't bury Moses. Perhaps it was somebody else. And so you come up with the, the, the idea that Michael is the great grave digger. Michael the archangel runs around and buries uh, all the people. In fact, he buries just about everybody. Um, and uh, all kinds of things. And they get this, some of this idea from the book of Exodus. Why? Because God says in Exodus, I'm going to go down and kill all the firstborn. Who actually does it? And so while God says, I'm going to do this, his representatives can still do it on his behalf. Which is very interesting if you are 
uh, disciple or follower of God or one of his witnesses, yes? We are called Christ's ambassadors. Now, that's very interesting. Operating on behalf of the risen Lord. That's kind of cool. So, this idea that angelic figures actually act on and for behalf of God doing things, you end up with Michael uh, bearing Moses, which appears in the book of Jude. Yes? It says Michael, the archangel Michael argued with Satan over the body of Moses. Okay, What was Michael doing there, if not to bury him? Maybe he just... Interested in dead bodies, hadn't seen them before, um, and was hanging out there when Satan came. But uh, it ends up that even the New Testament is recording these ideas that angels are mediating the Torah and, uh, and actually doing the, the middle, middle ground, including burying burial of the dead. Okay, uh, so we might talk about angelic presence and angiology a little more later. Okay, so that was, a, I think, a, rep a representation snapshot of last week's discussion. Thank you. All right. Oh, yeah, because you weren't here. Yeah, okay. So now we're going to pick it up at uh, four, and we're going to try and keep going. So we'll read the rest of the chapter, see what jumps out at us, and then begin the journey through. Okay? okay. All right, so grab our Bibles. Doesn't matter which version, doesn't matter which language. And... Uh, I'll start. So this is Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, one they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath, way, Sabbath day walk <coughs> from the city. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. <coughs> All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. You read this. Oh, yeah. 
And he said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the rewards of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bows gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem that the field is called in their own language Ekel Dema, um, that is field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Of the men, therefore, that has company with us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and went out among us. Beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken out from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called Bar Barsabas, uh, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. To take over this apostolic ministry with Judas left to go where he belongs. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Alright, okay, so just on an initial reading, uh, is there anything there that jumps out at you? Anything you haven't noticed there before? Which, you know, I sometimes swear that new verses are added into my Bible uh, on a regular occasion. Okay. Anything there that uh, intrigues? There's something that's very strange to me, but I'm sure we'll go over it. Sure. We look at that first. Yep. Yes, say what it is now. What's, what is it? Uh, it says in verse 12, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Yeah. Is the Mount of, does that mean that the Mount of Olives is a Sabbath day, a whole day's walk from Jerusalem? Is that what it means? Uh, no. no. Yeah. What's a Sabbath day's walk? Anyone know? I don't know how long it is, but it's not very far. Like 2,000 paces or something? Anyone know? I would um, and, and this is actually something that, that I just learned. Um, is it a half day's walk? It's a bit shorter than that. <laughs> yeah. Shorter than that. Yeah. It's a specific distance that you're allowed to walk on the Sabbath day and without contravening the laws. Yeah, so because you're supposed to rest and not do any work, and because the Bible doesn't say what work is, that gets very confusing, especially when God says, if you do any work, I'll kill you. It's like, oh my gosh, what is work? <laughs> okay. It seems very important, uh, but I don't have any, any um, uh, list. Although Second Temple Period Literature does actually add lists. Okay? If you want to um, find out one of those lists, you can read um, The Wisdom of Ben Sirah, or Syrac, as sometimes it's called. And the last chapter, chapter 50, is all the discussion about the Sabbath and what you can and can't do. So that gives you a good snapshot of how Jewish people were thinking about 150 years before Jesus. Okay? Um, uh, it's, a, it's a measure of distance. It's approximately a thousand paces. 
It would be 20 minutes or half an hour max. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, it's, a, it's not a, a um, biblical injunction. It's a oral injunction okay, that uh, comes. The, uh, the, the, the rabbinic injunction. What's the rabbinic rule? Anyone know? Now you can, you, can, you can keep walking if you have a new roof around. You can create this little boundary. And the boundary actually lines can just be string. <laughs> and so people can actually set up string around. So Jerusalem has a new roof around it. So that's why Orthodox people can walk. You know, they you know, get their little Fitbits out and just keep walking until they get their 10,000 paces in this fight. <laughs> but at the time of, of Jesus, there was a, a certain distance that you couldn't leave from, from your own personal dwelling. So that you were forced to stay at your home, which means you were forced to rest. rest. Okay. Mm -hmm. Doing their best to... And uh, Luke knows this. And so he knows the geography. Luke's very good at his geography in both Luke and in Acts. And he knows that the Mount of Olives is a, is a Sabbath day's walk. So he's quite clever. Actually, I heard some explanation that Mount Olives is the border of Jerusalem. That's why Jesus speaks of the donkey at Beth Page. This is the place he picked it up because he's walking into Jerusalem to fulfill Zechariah. Uh, the the prophecy in yeah, Zechariah yeah. 9. So Mount Olive is the border Could of be. Jerusalem, the most holy city. Mm -hmm. So during the Shabbat time, you reverend Jerusalem more than any other place. That's whatever. It's kind of explanation. Yeah, could be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that, that, that's great if you're in Jerusalem. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's a bit harder if you're in Tiberias. <laughs> um, but you're right, I could be, could be. It's the heart of God. Yep. The temple's there. Yep. Jesus was yeah, he took he took issue with a couple of uh, yeah their their things. Him some of them did. Because of the yeah, they did. Yeah, some of them very much did. Not all of them, but some of them. Well, very religious. Some of them. It's a snapshot because you also got to remember that uh, at the time of Jesus, who were some of his disciples? Pharisees. Okay, who's actually defending him in, the, in, in Luke against Herod? It's Pharisees. Mm -hmm. So it's a snapshot you're getting uh, when, you, when you have a look at, at sections of the gospel. Remember, what is the book of Acts as a snapshot? It's the gospel going in which direction? West. West. Okay. doesn't say anything else about how the gospel goes north, south, or east, but so it's a, it's a snapshot. Anything else that jumps out at people? <laughs> okay. Um, have a look at the list of disciples. Okay. There's al there's always lists in in um, in in the Bible. You know, they love them. And uh, in the Gospels, you always get lists of the the apostles. And um, funny thing about it is they're always different. What? In different order. Different order, and it's different people, and people are missing. Why? I have no clue. <laughs> I, only, I only pretend I know everything. <laughs> no, I, I really don't. But, but let's have a look at these, these, this thing is uh, picking up at 12, but we'll, we'll go back to 4 in a minute. Um, so they returned to Jerusalem, okay, from the hill called the Mount of Olives. So at that time, the Mount of Olives wasn't considered part of Jerusalem, right, because they're going back to Jerusalem, mm -hmm. okay. 
Um, it's a Sabbath day's walk, so he's got his geography right. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the, to the room, the upper room, hence we keep calling the place the upper room. Okay, and now we have a wonderful uh, crusader structure <laughs> built 1,200 years after Jesus called the upper room. Um, and uh, where they were staying, that's where they were guesting in the city. And those present were, and we start to get a list. And um, I'll, I'll read it slowly. And then if you can think of someone very special who's not there. Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And Judas Iscariot. They could be, could, they could be, uh, uh, yeah, Judas, well, Judas Iscariot's dead. So you're not going to be there. Unless, of course, it's the Walking Dead version. Uh, Nathaniel. Yes. There's no Nathaniel. Who's Nathaniel? I hear you ask. Well, it's got equated with him. So what, what, what happens is um, the, the lists of, of, of people in, um, in, in, in the Gospels is different. And so it it's, uh, became a, a game that mainly Catholic scholars, the Greeks didn't do this, uh, to decide, well, so-and-so is so-and-so, right? Because in Matthew 10 and in Mark 10, uh, sorry, Mark 3, you have a character, one of the disciples is called Thaddeus. And Thaddeus isn't there either. Okay, so the Catholics say Thaddeus is so and so, and um, and they have nice lists and, and try and figure out who's in, who's out. But Nathaniel's not there. Now, everyone knows where Nathaniel comes from. Yes, which which gospel does he show up in? John chapter one. Okay, I mean he's right there at the beginning. In fact, he's the first guy to show up and say, "You're the son of God." You're the Messiah, right? He does it within 10 seconds of meeting Jesus. Peter's got to wait three and a half years to finally figure out who Jesus is. But Nathaniel gets it within 10 seconds and Jesus goes, wow, this guy is a true Israelite. And uh, you're, you think this is really cool? You wait till you see the angels coming and down on the Son of Man. Right? Like, awesome. And, uh, but you never hear anything more about him. Right? The guy recognizes Yeshua right at the start and then you never, never hear about him again. And um, it's not that they forgot his name. It's just that, uh, uh, or Thaddeus, they didn't forget Thaddeus, and I don't think that they changed names. How many disciples do they have sitting in this room? There should be 11. 120. 120. Because <laughs> right, the text tells us there's 120 of these guys. Okay. And so what you've got is you've actually got a large collection. So how, how big is this room? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely not this building here. Okay? <laughs> this adds up to 11. Yeah, this does. But then later on, uh, when it says Peter stands up, a group numbering about 120. Okay? And uh, the, you have an inner circle. And each year, that inner circle changes for a variety of different reasons. Someone might die. You know, these disciples, guess what they had to do? They had to pay. 
being a disciple is not free. You pay your rabbi. And what does the rabbi do? He does nothing except teach. And he doesn't wash his clothes. Disciples wash his clothes for him. He doesn't cook his breakfast. His disciples cook his breakfast for him. And when he needs to, when he teaches, they pay him. So they, they pay. Now, so some people could become just followers of a certain rabbi. They would work, they would get some money, and they'd say, right, I'm going to invest this money in getting educated. And how am I going to get educated? I'm going to uh, get, find myself a good rabbi. Remember what Paul says when he's um, chastising the uh, Corinthians? He says, pay your pastors. Right? What, are you, what are you supposed to do with your shepherds? <laughs> Hi! <laughs> uh, you're supposed to pay them. <laughs> but uh, the, the, he says he, he doesn't take it. He, he decides to work. And he says that's not what is the normal rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a point. It was uh, quite common for um, rabbis to have a profession. And uh, Jesus was a builder carpenter. But it was considered really quite inappropriate. In his, they would go from village to village. And suppose you were the, had the kind of job where you could pick up in this village. It's not fair to go and take someone else's business away. So even though rabbis often had a profession and they could do stuff and they could earn money, they didn't in order to, so that they would go to a village and not take anyone's work away and teach the, teach the word. Okay. What would Jesus have done with that money? <laughs> give it to somebody to look after and give to the poor. Yeah, and the person who received the money Is there was anything in Judas. The Almost Jesus can make money when you feed the 5,000. Well, he wasn't using money back then, was he? I need a baker. Oh, actually, no, I don't. (laughs) Yeah, I've got a a new trick for you, people. Watch this. We're going to open up a falafel stand. It's going to be awesome. Overheads are down. Okay. um, The the inner circle changes based on the economic uh, viability of your disciple and or if he likes what he's hearing. Okay? Or if he's a bad disciple. In fact, if a, if a disciple is, is bad in, ancient, in, in antiquity, uh, the, the rabbi would, would actually get the, the student and stand him in front of all the other students, and what would he say? I never knew you. Wow. Right? The, 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 the disciple, the one who was following the rabbi, had to look like the rabbi. He had to talk like him, walk like him, act like him, be like him. So when you finished your three years or seven years, whatever it is, with the ministry of Jesus, how many little Jesuses has he got? Right? And then, but the ones that weren't doing, were not obeying his voice, he would say, you, I never knew. And we know one person who heard that from his rabbi. Who would that be in our Bibles? Paul. Who's Paul's rabbi? Gamaliel, that's right, Gamaliel. And in, in, in Acts, as we will get to him, what does Gamaliel do when people want to persecute the church? What does he, he said, say? He said that, uh, don't, don't. Stop them. don't stop them. Don't. If this is from God, yeah. you'll be fighting God. If it's not from God, it'll just, it'll just, it'll just disperse. So he says, don't. So here's his student who goes and does the complete reverse. So Gamliel most likely probably looked at Paul and went, Oh, I never knew you. You're nothing like me. You obviously didn't listen to anything I say. And, uh, and Paul ends up having a very different career. Should I say this is the, the source that Jesus teaching, uh, Paul's teaching people to conform into his image? Because it's kind of historical background. 
that all the Jewish people are taught have to follow their their rabbis. And the discipleship is to conform into the image of the rabbi they are following. So we, we need to look like Jesus. So when Paul says that we have to come yeah. to Jesus. That's right, right. yep, that's a very similar similar mm -hmm. thing. Okay, yeah, so I just point out yeah. another thing about the details from these names. Um, there are some names in this list that are qualified by another statement. Uh, see if you can see which ones they are. Mm -hmm. Just quickly go through this and say, some are just given the names and some are... James. James, yes. yes. And... Peter. Uh, um, Peter there, so... Simon the Zealot. James and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. We've got three names here which are not on their own, but they're qualified. And you'll find this happens not just here, but through, through the Gospels. And which name do you, which female name do you find most often which has to be qualified? Think of, think of the, the, the female name that comes up most, you think, in the Gospel Mary. accounts, Mary. Mary. When you get a Mary, they have to say which Mary they're talking about. Yes. And what's interesting about this is, and our theologians have picked up on this just in recent years, that. Uh, these names which are qualified in order not to be um, clear and not ambiguous, these are the most popular names. Yeah. There's a list of them taken from all the first century literature and Simon is about number two on the list and Mary is the number one on the, the, the ladies list. Um, and what is interesting is pretty well the ones that are qualified within the Gospels are the ones that are in the top five of the names, which proves that this is, what the this is the point the theologians make, is that the people who wrote this knew the culture and knew which had, had the most popular name. So if you're talking about John, you have to say which John you're talking about, or, you know, in our, in our, in our culture. So that's why these names have extra bits of after It keeps the Bible in its first century Jewish context and most likely somebody who's very familiar with Jewish customs, which is one of the reasons why I think Luke is a Hellenized Jew. And most likely, I actually agree with the Syrians, I think he's from Antioch. That's my personal thing. Uh, the Greek Orthodox believe he was one of the 70 disciples. So he was actually very close to the source. And many of these names, especially the ones that are most common, are all the names from the Maccabees. Right? So the, the Maccabean heroes. Which might also help us when we try and understand what the disciples were asking about when they say, Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We're thinking of the Maccabean uh, victory over, over, over the Greeks. And that's the type of messianic character we were expecting. Um, and are you doing that now? <coughs> anyway, let's have a look at, uh, starting at verse 4. So, <clears throat> on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Uh, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard, about, heard me speak about. Okay. So what is interesting in that passage? Wait. Okay, a wait, a command to wait. Mm -hmm. okay, why aren't we getting it now? Okay. Promised. Get a promise. There is this, this idea of expectation. I have been talking to you about this, and I have promised this. I mentioned it. So wait, you'll get your, your promise. It'll become from the Father. Yeah. 
yeah, which is always going to be, uh, I think, a divisive nature in the church for the rest of <laughs> East or West. Where does the Holy Spirit come from? Does it come from the Father or does it come from the Son? All both. All both. <laughs> okay, and they'll have massive theological treatises about this. Okay. Um, Jesus is eating. I mean, the guy resurrected from the dead. What's he need to eat for? What kind of body has he got? What does it need food for? What else can Jesus' body do? And obviously eat. Disappear. <laughs> Disappear, yeah. And don't we all wish ours could do that sometimes too? Yeah, the walk through walls. The walk through walls, yes. Yes. That would make visiting the bank very interesting. He can breathe. Jesus breathed on them. What kind of body has he got? So what are some of the answers? It's a real, it's a, yeah, it's, it's his body. Right? He had a body and it died. And then the, that body came back again. And that body had all the bits that were there at the start. Albeit with a few holes in them. But uh, is there? And it could eat. And if it could eat, what else could it do? We won't say that on camera. Okay. But it is very interesting that Luke actually includes a, a, on one occasion while he was eating. Okay. Is that this guy really is alive and this guy actually needs to eat. Now that is a very interesting thought indeed. Okay. So what, what type of body has Jesus got? Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons in the, in, the, in the book of Revelation, when John looks into heaven, he says, I saw a son of man. And Ben-Adam, what's Ben-Adam in Hebrew? Human. That's the way you say human. Flesh. You want to say, I'm a human. The, only, the way you say it is, Ben-Adam, ben I'm simply a human. Right? And uh, that's... Uh, so it's a very, he has a, uh, Luke is recording a very interesting theological thing in just a sentence. He was eating with his, with his brothers and his sisters because they're there too. Okay, so then he gives them this uh, teaching. And if he's going to give them a command, as we know from verse 2, how does he give a command? He gives a command by? By the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit is the, is the thing, according to verse 2, that helped Jesus instruct. Okay. Uh, he says, do not leave Jerusalem and wait for a gift. Right? So what is the Holy Spirit? It's a gift. It is not a right. Sometimes we, we unfortunately might have a piece of theology that says, I have the right to have a hold to the Holy Spirit. No, it's a gift. Uh, you'll be given a gift from my father and don't leave Jerusalem so it's going to be a particular place okay so we've got a place uh, we've got a time uh, this, this idea of waiting uh, verse 5 for John baptized with water in, but in a few days you will be okay we have another reference to the Holy Spirit this time what is, what is going to happen what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit 
And the uh, the Greek word there is in, uh, uh, okay, which can mean in, with, on, among, uh, with, all that kind of. It means all that. The different uh, different uh, people commentators putting different different English words, but it means all the same thing. So, what does it mean to be baptized in or with or Any ideas? Purifying. Purifying. Okay. Yeah. Now, yep. Now, why would you say that? Because we wash our stains, and we wash away our we wipe away the yeah. Yep. You've had a mikveh, yes? I specifically know. You've never had one? No. Oh. Okay. In because like you should be married and like be covered. Oh, that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, People do it, but I have. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I've done it a few times. Um, a mikveh. So, do you know what a mikveh is? Okay. Uh, um, a, a mikveh is a. Um, it, it, it's a baptism. And, it, and, and the idea of baptism. Purification. God, in, God instructs it. God creates this, this idea of baptism uh, all the way back in Leviticus, right? Where he says, um, you're going to be a holy people because I'm holy. And so when you're around me, you're going to look like me, act like me, and you're going to be like me, and you're going to reflect my holiness to the world. Oh, and by the way, the following things make you unholy, okay? Or ritually unclean. Not sins, just ritual uncleanliness. And which is pretty much anything. Breathe, you're ritually unclean type idea. Okay? Which means that Israel was actually ritually unclean for most of its actual life. But then God said, but I really like, I really like you. I really want to be with you. So here's the way you get rid of that stain, that, that taint. And you would have a baptism. And, uh, and so if a man and a woman, uh, husbands and wives, had a special cuddle, which is a very good thing to do, yes, Yes, you know, go forth and fill the earth. This is a very good thing. And, uh, but once you've done that, you're impure. So what did I do wrong? Well, you didn't do anything wrong. Okay? You actually are fulfilling the command. But you can't go do that and then walk into God's presence. Right? Hey, baby, let's have a high five. No, you would have a ritual baptism and that would wash away the ritual sin. And then you can come into the presence of God. And by the time of the Second Temple period, they had gotten this down to a fine art. They are all over archaeology, uh, in, in various sizes and shapes and designs. Uh, the designs are roughly the same, but definitely, definitely some of them are more ornate uh, than others, depending on your wealth. Um, and, uh, and whenever you find mikvot, that always signifies you at a Jewish settlement. Nobody else is this obsessed with uh, ritual cleanliness. Um, and so for Jewish people... And in the, in the first temple period, when they heard you're going to be baptized, they had a very different understanding of what that meant. So in, in, a, in a ritual baptism, what do you do? What do you do, guys or girls? You just purify themselves. Yes, but how do you physically do it? Uh, you just go down. Bare. Bare. You wear yep. nothing. That's right. You wear nothing. Yeah. Okay. That makes the art of Jesus' baptism look very interesting, doesn't it? Right. Okay. So you take all your clothes off. And you go into the water, who touches you? Nobody. Nobody. Just the water. Right. Nowadays, when we give baptisms, what do we do? 
We put on, yeah, we put on pajamas, okay, we put on a white robe, we paid somebody $10 at Yardini, some guy holds our nose like this, puts us under the water and waits for the bubbles to stop, and then says, okay, we're done, all right, yeah, yeah, you're born again, you nearly died, did you have a vision from heaven? Okay, and that's how we do it now, okay, or in some traditions, we get a small little baby, and we, and, uh, has a cry, and then we go, oh, that's so cute, and, um, we do it in different ways. In Canada once, we got a guy and we poured a bucket of water on his head. Okay, we wanted to baptize him and we didn't know anything else to do, so we just stood on a bucket of water and It was below zero at the time, so it was boiling water, but not by the time it hit him. Um, and uh, so people do it in different ways, but at the time of Jesus, they, they were, the water was touching every bit of them. And they were doing it personally. No one else was touching them. This was a very deep personal thing, um, and it was going to do your whole body. So they're going to be baptized in or with the Holy Spirit. In fire. Not here. At this time, it just says, you know, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What's one of the issues? They already have the Holy Spirit. Because John 20, Jesus brought into them, breathed yeah. into them. Yep. Right. Someone, someone read John 20, just so we definitely can prove. John 20, 21. Right. And a couple of verses after that. They are already empowered. Correct. Mm. Who's got it? I've got it here. Um, well, I'll read the verse before. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I mean, that is a very powerful statement of Jesus, and, and it's often included in some... Anglican, Anglican liturgies, and it's actually included in one of ours. Okay, when we give the passing of the peace, we, we say, listen to the words of Jesus, right? If you forgive, their sins are forgiven. If you don't, they're not. So be very careful. Let's all make peace with each other, yes? Peace of the Lord be with you. Oh my gosh, I'm so terrified now. But it's a, it, is a, it is a teaching of the Lord. Okay, and, uh, and, but Jesus has got risen from the dead. He has showed himself to his disciples. And what has he done? Receive the Holy Spirit. So if he says that, what do they get? They got it. And now Jesus is saying, stay in Jerusalem and wait. Why? Because you're going to get a gift. What's the gift? They're going to be baptized. The gift is to be baptized in or with the Spirit. You've already got the Spirit. So what is that? So if you have the Holy Spirit... What can you now, can actually happen to you? Can you have the spiritual gifts? You have, they've got the Holy Spirit. Okay. And now you can also be baptized in the Spirit. You can be immersed in the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So John 20 right? is... That's what the texts are telling us. So we need to, whatever preconceived ideas that we've got about the Holy Spirit, we all got many, I'm sure. But the actual texts, John says they already got it. And now Jesus is saying, you're going to get a gift. It's not a right. You're going to get a gift. And you're going to get this thing and be immersed in the Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit, you'll be immersed in it as well. It's going to be great to do something. In, 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 in John, 
says you're going to be my witnesses. Can I add to that? Yeah. Um, the parallel passage in Luke to John says that he opened their understanding that they would understand the scriptures, and these things happened on the day of resurrection. And we have Peter's testimony in 1 Peter. He says, um, we were born again by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's appropriate that it happened on the same day. Uh, so then you have this, so something happened inside. They could begin to understand what the scriptures were saying. But there was still something yet to come. And actually, the best way I've found it explained to me was that, you know, Jesus was born of the Spirit, if anyone was. Okay, you couldn't be more born of the Spirit than Jesus was. Yeah. And the Spirit that was in him came upon him for power for ministry when he was 30. Mm -hmm. So we, ha we have these two events in Jesus' life, but they're spaced out. But within the disciples' lives, they're more, more close together. But understand it, that the spirit that was within him came upon him for power. And it was then that he had an impact throughout the country, but not before then. Which is, so the disciples, you, we, can have the Holy Spirit, which can lead us into some understanding. And then we're like, wow, I really want to do something. And, you know, God might say, well, you just wait. You'll be baptized in the spirit. And uh, it's not to say that you're not saved. You've got the Holy Spirit. They are born again on the day of resurrection. But there, there might come a time when God needs to give you a gift. Can I, can I contribute to one verse? It's from uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians? 15, verse 45. Okay. So also it, will, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Okay. It says that the life-giving spirit Jesus brought into us, that's what, the, on the John 20, right. it was a life-giving spirit, right? His... So on the book of Acts, which means the outpouring of the spirit as a gift mm -hmm. to empower us for them to propagate the resurrection of God in too many villages in Shifela area. That's what I, I can understand. Do you think it's uh, possible? Because they started from Shifela, from uh, from the uh, all the uh, what do you say, Lut, from Jaffa, Yafo, all the the coastal men, the disciples, they are really propagates. Book of Acts is the propagation of Christ for His resurrection yes. and ascension. And what we're going by to... the in, inward, the inward yeah. given life giving spirits, to motivate them. But yet, they need to be empowered outwardly. That's right. why Pentecost did. Do you think it makes sense? Uh, there was a lot there to say yes to. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. so here's this. Yes, the disciples are going to have a particular job and a calling. And what we're going to find, unfortunately, is some of them don't do their job. Okay? Especially when Jesus is going to say, you need to go out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the right. ends of the earth. And then in, in, in Acts 3, I think it is, there's a, there's a persecution in Jerusalem. Everybody runs except the disciples who stay in Jerusalem. You're like, hang on a second, did you not read Acts 1? Um, so so we, 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 as we go through the text, we're going to answer some of those questions. Why are they not doing what they're doing? Um, uh, but for, for, for right now, in verse 5, we are beginning to understand, or we get the hint that, not a hint, very clear, we're going to get a gift, okay, and we're going to be immersed in the, in the, in the Holy Spirit, which is, 
if Jesus is saying it, it's, it's, we think it's going to be wonderful. And we're going to get, obviously, Acts 2. So we, we already know ahead of time what it is. All right. So, the gift is a gift. It's not a right. Even though they've got the Spirit, they can get a gift of the baptism of the Spirit. And so, we've just had this wonderful promise of Jesus. And what's the disciples' response? Verse 6. What's their question? Are you going to do what you're, you're supposed to be doing? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, that gift is just wonderful, Lord. Um, what's this waiting idea? We don't want to wait. Um, and, and so they say, when are you going to restore the kingdom? Half the disciples' names are named after Maccabean heroes. Right? And, uh, and the Maccabees had gone to set up the Messianic kingdom. In fact, the Maccabees thought that they were living in Messianic times. So they decided that they could change, right? They could change the temple, they could change the, the priesthood, they could change the kings, they could be kings, except that they only the kings of Israel have to come from which line? Judah. Judah, which they did not. But they changed it all. And then they turned around and forced converted people. So they, they believed that they were the, the Messiah, so they went to Edom, forced converted them. Force converted Moab, force converted a large number of Samaritans, and repopulated the, the Galilee, including some forced conversions. Okay. And, uh, and that leads to some very interesting problems. Later, one of the kings of the world that you actually get is King Herod, who ends up being the grandson of a, of a, of a person who was force converted by Alexander Janaeus, one of the uh, bigger kings of, uh, of the Maccabees. So here they meet together. They ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to bring back the land? Are you going to get rid of the Romans? Are you going to do the things that we all thought the Messiah would do? How long have these disciples been with him? Three years. Maybe even more. Yeah? We don't know, to be honest. The reason why we think it's three-year ministry is why? Because Jesus started when he was 30. Yeah, but it doesn't tell us how old he died. There's no, there's no age. Certain number of passes. Correct. And so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there is only one Passover mentioned. How often does Passover come around? So if you just had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, how long would you suspect Jesus' ministry to be? One year. One year. Right? So when you get to John, he mentions three Passovers. And Jesus is always showing up to Jerusalem for a Passover. And so therefore, here's the logic, if three Passovers are mentioned, Jesus' ministry is? Three years. Right. But using the same logic that we just had from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that it actually doesn't matter how many Passovers are mentioned, that doesn't tell you how long Jesus' ministry was. And so just because three are mentioned in, in, uh, in John, doesn't mean Jesus' ministry was only three years. Okay. Um, the, the Greek Orthodox have, you know, those guys that are all around us, they have a, have a tradition that says that Jesus was born on minus 8 BC and he died at the, uh, when the earthquake happened, 29, which puts Jesus at what age? Which, according to the rabbis, how old was Isaac when he's on... Uh, 37. 
because when Isaac is sacrificed, we know that Isaac, we know that Sarah is 90 when Isaac is born. And as soon as Abraham comes down off the mountain, what's the very next thing that happens? Sarah dies, and she dies at 127, therefore making Isaac. Okay, so you go, that's interesting that the Greeks come up with roughly the same thing. Uh, remember the Greek Orthodox have been living here since it started, and they're actually incorporating a lot more Jewish traditions than we probably care to admit. Um, so it could be, and that Jesus, at the time, at the time of Jesus, the, the number of psych, uh, the, the amount of time it took to read the Torah was three and a half years. Today, they shrunk it down to one year. Right? But it didn't have, it used to be that way. It used to be three to three and a half years. Oddly enough, what's the lectionary cycle in, in mainstream churches? Three years. Okay, that's where we get it from. We're actually getting it from the original cycle of reading Bible. So the early Jewish Christians, when they come into what we call the church, bring in this tradition of, well, actually, you read it in three years or three and a half. And uh, in the Middle Ages, it gets changed. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Jesus did the Torah cycle twice. Right? Because what do you do? Uh, how do you remember in Jewish tradition? You do it. So let's do, let's teach the Torah portion. And then when we're done, boys, we'll do it again. <laughs> so it could be that Jesus' ministry could have been seven years, actually. But... You don't have to agree with me. In fact, it's probably better if you don't. Um, just, uh, just know that it's, it's, it's out there. Yes. Uh, here, even after three to seven years with Jesus, you would think these disciples would get it. No. Right? Again, Nathaniel even said, you're the king of Israel. You're the son of God. After 10 seconds. Right? But... Seven years later, are you actually going to kick the Romans out? And Jesus doesn't say, wow, you guys just have not been paying attention. Um, I've decided to grade your papers, and we are all getting a zero. And I'm going to start with a whole bunch of new disciples. You're all fired. And uh, I'm going to get some Chinese people, because they do everything I say. <laughs> okay. And uh, away we go. But, but Jesus doesn't say that. Okay? He's got every right to. Right? He's like, you guys are just not listening. I've risen from the dead, I'm spending 40 more days teaching, and you're still not getting it. Okay? Uh, 2,000 years later, how are we doing as the church? Not good. <laughs> okay? We're still not getting it. Okay? Come Lord Jesus, right? is one of those, those expressions. So, he's, what is Jesus' response to this? He says something very interesting. He says, it is not for you to know times and dates that the Father has set by his own authority. Right? So before we get into the... Yeah, so what, what, what reality is Jesus now admitting to or instructing us in? We don't have to. Well, one, we don't have to know. But who does know? Right? There, there, there is a time and there are seasons and there are dates. And God knows them. Jewish people were obsessed with time, trying to figure this out. So when you have a look at Second Temple period Jewish literature, of which New Testament is one, um, books like Jubilees, books like Enoch, books, books like um, 
uh, what are some of the other ones? Um, Dead Sea Scrolls. They're obsessed with time and they put down every famous event and they all begin to put it on the things occurring on the same day. Um, for example, when does the temple get burnt? Ninth of Ab. Except. Okay, except what does the actual Bible say? Okay, when you go into, into, into Kings, it says they burned it on the 7th. When you get into Chronicles, it says they burned it on the 10th. Which one was it? Don't know. Let's stick it on the, on the, on the 9th. Why? Because that's when we know the Romans burnt the second one. Okay, so you can see people get obsessed with time when they start to shrink it down and put all these things happening on the same day. Right? Uh, and, and Jewish Christians do the same thing. We, we inherit this, this tradition. Um, but but the, the world was obsessed with time. And what is Yeshua's response is, that is not for you. Okay? God might be obsessed with time. He might know exactly when things are going to happen. And nothing will happen when it's not supposed to. But that is not your issue. In fact, what's our issue? Verse 8. But you will receive power when... The Holy Spirit comes on you. Okay, so it's going to be this idea of being baptized and immersed, and it's going to give us something. It's going to give us power. At these points, people like me would really love it if Jesus could have stopped and then explained what that would look like. Okay? What does it mean to have power? Power is a very interesting thing. Um, power to heal. It's possible. Power to deliver. It's possible. I mean, all these things we don't know because the text doesn't tell us, but we are being told a gift is coming. It's going to be full immersion of this, whatever, of being drenched in the spirit, and it's going to come with power. It's like, it's like, like adrenaline. adrenaline. It's like adrenaline? Yeah, it could be. The implication is for witnessing. Right, yeah. yes. Go forth. Go forth to be. Which covers quite a few things. Yes. Yes. The, um, the, uh, what we call the Ark of the Covenant, the Aron Habrit, right? Everyone knows what the Ark of the Covenant is? Right, that's that thing, you know, big, big golden box, shove manna in it, shove uh, Aaron's rod, shove the Ten Commandments, all that kind of stuff, um, and then hide it in Moab somewhere. Um, the, it's actually most, in the, in the Hebrew Bible, it's mostly not called that. What's it actually called? The Ark of the Witness. The Presence. The Ark of the Testimony. Or we call today, in English, we call it a testimony. Okay? Is, um, is it, that this is actually that putting in manna, putting in the Ten Commandments, putting in the staff that butted to show that, show that Aaron is actually the priests, right? Okay? You put those in, and that will be a witness. That's what this box is going to be for. Funny, it's inside a, a tent and you can't actually see it. But um, they did when they brought it out, okay? And it would be a witness to the people, the ark of the witness. Um, and then here in Acts, we're going to be that. There's no ark in the time of Jesus. There wasn't, correct. Yeah. Yep. And, but the, you had it. You actually read it in your Torah portion every, every, at least several times a year. You would talk about the, uh, the ark. Here, you're going to be baptized. It's going to be a gift. Put that down. Okay, it's, uh, it's not a right, it's, it's a gift, which means it's also free. Um, it's going to have a power. What sort of power? All yeah. kinds of power. Spiritual power. 
Well, yeah. And it's going to result in this community being a witness. Okay. The the uh, who lived on the ark? God did. Right? Who lived? What, what was the ark? It was where God sat. Right? God says, I dwell in between the cherubim. Why? We don't know. No one's got a clue why God would do such a thing. But he did. Right? He, he literally, this is where I live. Okay? And I want every, all my people to come and talk to me. Um, and, uh, and so that same idea of this, this witness, where God's presence is going to be, it's going to be with us. We're going to be like the witnesses of God. We're going to be this community that's going to go out and show everybody. We're going to have power while we're doing it. And it's all going to come about via the Holy Spirit. Okay? So definitely one of the things that the Holy Spirit is going to do, if he's going to be doing anything, is he's going to make us witnesses with, with power. The Christ now is called the pneumatic Christ. Pneumatic Christ. Sorry, I'm not following you there. It's, it's a spiritual Christ, pneumatic. Right, although Christ himself is a human, yeah. because he, in verse 4 he eats. Yes, yeah. Okay, and in John he breathes. And so he actually, and in Revelation he's a man in heaven. So he is both man, uh, and, God. man and God. It's an interesting, unexplainable truth. Okay, so we're going to be witnesses, which is awesome. Where are we going to do it? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. Which is, and if that's true, how come the, the our Bible doesn't tell us that that happened? Back up again, I missed that. Back up. Back up. Back up. Back up. Back up. Back up. <laughs> All right, so we're going to be witnesses, okay? We're going to, that's what we're going to do, okay? Now, in, in, in usually in um, New Testament, you always find the, the New Testament in the Hebrew Bible, right? Greek Bible is always in the Hebrew Bible. So the Aron, the, the, the Ark of the Witness, now we're going to have the, where God's presence was. Now the people are going to be the witness. The temple is destroyed, but you're now the temple. Uh, you're going to have power, and you're going to go and witness whatever that is, um, to the ends of the earth. Okay, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And you go, great. Okay. This is starting off. What an incredible mission. Acts 1, verse, what are we up to? 8. eight. eight. Okay. And, uh, you know, we're powering through here. We probably should, we really will go faster next time. And, um, and, and, uh, but what is that? What does Acts actually tell us? It doesn't tell us how it got to the ends of the earth. Our sacred history just stops. <coughs> and which is going to lead us into that question which we asked at the start. What is the book of Acts actually about? Um, yes, it does have a history, the sacred history of how the thing starts. And it gives us the sacred history of the quest. We're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now we know that actually did happen because you're all here. Yeah. Kazakhstan is here. <coughs> Taiwan is here. Okay. Denmark has arrived. Okay. America's, England's here. Even, even South Africa, you know. Barbados has shown up. Okay. This is awesome. It's here. Okay, it did it. But this doesn't tell you how it did it. 
you'll know it did because you're just seeing it. Right? So we have, to, we have to make sure that we keep it into perspective what is the book of Acts and, uh, and what do we learn, learn from it. Um, and uh, so that's the request. So we'll stop there. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.